0: Torah portion number 5 today in Genesis 23 to Genesis 25, the life of Sarah. And uh, there's just so many things that we could teach on today a number of fascinating stories with divine principles, biblical prophecy. Uh, this week we learn about Abraham sending Eleazar back to his birthplace in Haran to find a wife for his son Yitzhak, Isaac. We learn about the art of the deal when Abraham negotiates uh, the purchase of Sarah's burial plot with Ephron the Hittite. And then, in an absolute incredible turn of events, <clears throat> we learn about Abraham's second marriage. And uh, who can believe that? Uh, to a mysterious woman named Keturah. And so uh, we're going to talk a a lot about that specifically today, uh, and especially how things are bookended with the description of Sarah's death, and then at the very end, Abraham's death. And the first part, as we mentioned, describes Abraham. Uh, purchasing, the it's the very first real estate transaction in ancient history that's recorded. The oldest recorded real, Abraham buys a piece of the promised land from the Hittite. Uh, the cave of Machpelah in Hebron uh, for Sarah's burial. And then at the end, uh, we find uh an amazing turn of events in that uh, at Abraham's funeral, both Isaac and Ishmael, the stepbrothers, come together in what appears to be a huge moment of reconciliation. And so, Uh, I've entitled the teaching today, God's Plan of Reconciliation Rather Than Retribution uh, between Jews and Muslims, and we're going to delve into that today. But Isaac and Ishmael coming together in the Bible is a surprising development because... I don't know about you, but I always grew up with the teaching that Ishmael was banished for life, never to be heard of again, along with his mother, Hagar. And uh, when Ishmael shows up at Abraham's funeral, there's this whole um, segment of teaching and prophetic commentary on what that means, Uh, and it really tells an entirely different story about what happened to Hagar and Ishmael in uh, those later years, but what we're going to find out as these, we call them brothers from different mothers, (laughs) we're brothers from different mothers. Isaac and Ishmael were brothers from different mothers. They were not the adversaries, we're going to learn, that maybe traditional church doctrine has taught us. And so uh, one of the great rabbis who just recently went home to be with the Lord, a highly respected rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, who I just have dearly uh, loved and appreciated all of his teachings and essays. Tremendous scholar, tremendous intellect, Uh, former chief rabbi of London, England. Uh, What a teaching anointing. Um, And uh, just going to miss him tremendously. Uh, He comments on this little-known passage of scripture about Isaac and Ishmael and he says that what's happening here at Abraham's funeral is an allegory for reconciliation between Judaism represented by Isaac and Islam represented by Ishmael. Now isn't that amazing? In fact, when you start digging into ancient teachings, you find that this view of reconciliation is actually shared by many of the great Jewish scholars going back centuries. And so, uh, it's... uh, It's a great thing to study. In fact, Pastor Larry studied this and included this in his latest book on seven living prophecies. He points out that this scenario of Isaac and Ishmael is a miracle restoration. uh, And it's a sign of the end times. And it's all, and I'll read the scripture It all is birthed out of Genesis 25, 8, if you want to mark that in your Bible. It says, Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah. Uh, that's where Sarah was buried, and that's where Isaac and Rebecca were buried. That's where uh, Jacob was buried. Rebecca was buried just on the road to Bethlehem, and there's a whole messianic teaching there where she's buried, Rachel's tomb, and when she died and gave birth during birth, the birth of uh, um, uh, Jacob and Esau. But anyway, so this uh, passage of Isaac and Ishmael coming together, very unusual. And it's been debated for centuries on what this means. And what you've got to understand is that sometimes the Torah spells things out very clearly and plainly. Thou shalt not, or thou shalt do. Uh, But sometimes... The Torah, the Bible only gives us hints and clues of what's happening and it's left for people like you and I and the great scholars and rabbis and pastors and uh, others of the world to study and dig into things, connect some dots and try to find out what God is saying and this is one of those instances. In fact, uh, I was reminded And you might remember, Pastor, you get his whiteboard out, and he puts up uh, PRDS, parties. How many of you remember that uh, teaching? Rabbi Joseph Shulam, our dear friend in Jerusalem, he wrote a book where he goes into detail on this, a book called Hidden Treasures. And, uh, he talks about it in, I'm going to give you one of these fancy terms, in, uh, uh, in the light of what's called hermeneutics. Have you ever heard of that? It sounds like uh, some kind of plague you want to be delivered from, hermeneutics. But it's actually the art of understanding, hermeneutics. How do we understand the Scripture? Well, there's many ways to understand Scripture. In Jewish study, as we've learned, PRDS, parties, that's, uh, the art of understanding, and it's an acronym, uh, that stands for something. The P stands for Peshat. That's the plain and simple understanding. And then as you begin to get into scripture study, the next level is the R, which is remez, which is where God begins to give us hints and clues, but you really can't just, it's not plain and simple what God is trying to teach us. So uh, we study to show ourselves approved, which leads us into the D, which is drash or midrash. And the drash. Uh, is when you begin to connect scriptures that are seemingly unrelated, but by study and the power of the Holy Spirit, you realize, oh my gosh, look at what God is saying. And at the end of it all, the fourth level, P-R-D-S, is sowed, which means secret. In Hebrew and it's what God wants to do for those of us that come to Torah study and open our Bible once in a while and read some books and commentaries and, uh, and we learn some things and this is where the secrets are revealed. How many of you are glad that you're hungry for secrets to be revealed in your life? And so in Hebrew, parties, P R D S, stands for paradise. And that's the Hebrew word for paradise which is exactly where God wants to take us. He wants to take us down a pathway of life and blessing filled with wisdom and knowledge and love and peace and joy and all the spiritual and all the financial and physical blessing. And that's what paradise is all about. One day we'll have it for eternity. Right now, we still got to put up our dukes, don't we? And fight the good fight of faith to enter into the abundant life. Let me uh, turn my phone. Okay, so that's what's going on here with Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, And so, because Ishmael is put back in the story... In Genesis 25, the rabbis are determined to figure out what's the purpose of Ishmael's presence at Abraham's funeral. What's going on here? And so in Christianity, as I pointed out, we have an 18, 1900-year-old doctrine that Hagar and Ishmael were banished from the family and never heard of again. We're always taught that any animosity and even the hate between them was never resolved. So the big question is what are these guys doing together? What are these brothers, these stepbrothers, doing together here at their father's funeral? Now, there's no Peshat, there's no plain explanation in the Torah, but there's plenty of clues. There's plenty of ancient wisdom that we can explore and that's why today we'll just delve into this a little bit and there'll be some interesting things that come up about Abraham and his second marriage. I mean, isn't that a mind blower? Who would think Abraham got married after Sarah died? Most of us just thought he just lived out his years and uh, uh, kind of a solitary figure, a widower, and that was that. But in reality, something else happened, and the Bible is clear about that. And we'll also find out what Isaac and Ishmael are doing coming back together. What many, including Pastor Larry, have concluded is it's a miracle restoration. Praise God. Uh, And as you read between the lines, you'll find that there's a story of reconciliation between Abraham and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael. And what all of this is pointing to is prophetically, in the last days, what we see happen with the patriarchs is going to happen at the end of the age. This is a very common teaching uh, in Judeo-Christianity. That what we see as an example in the days of old is what's going to be replicated in the last days. In other words, history is going to repeat itself. So what we're studying has great biblical consequence for us right now. We all know that Jews and Muslims both trace their ancestry back to Abraham. Jews through Isaac, Muslims through Ishmael. And there's always been conflict and separation, but as it was in the beginning, it's going to be at the end. Amen? And... Pastor Larry actually writes this in his book. Could it be that the love that Isaac and Ishmael felt for their father caused them at the very end of Abraham's life to come together in peace? It's a sign of the end times. Even Rashi, the famous rabbi in the Middle Ages, taught that when the brothers came together, and they did come together at the funeral, it happened to be Ishmael that repented of some things. Ishmael repented of some things. This is why Isaac, the younger, is listed first in the Torah, and Ishmael, the older, is listed second. It shows that something's happening that Ishmael realizes, yeah Isaac you're the son of the covenant. I have a covenant too but the main covenant that God gave came through the line of Isaac and he realized that. He acknowledged Isaac's spiritual role and let him lead the way. So this is what's prophetic about it is that what Happened then is going to happen again in the last days. Now, is it going to happen before the rapture? Is it going to happen during the tribulation? Or is it going to happen in the millennium? We can all debate the timing. But here's a clue that something in this relationship that's divided Jews and Arabs is going to change at the end of days. And there's going to be a miracle restoration and a miracle healing take place. So as we study this past stuff, God is really building in us a hope for the future. Isn't that just like God? He's not willing that any should perish. And so uh, we're part of bringing about this restoration. It's hard to imagine Jews and Arabs, uh, Jews and Muslims coming together, but actually history records centuries of peace between the two groups, between the two religions. You look it up, it's known as the Golden Age, and uh, this was during the Middle Ages. This era uh, began when King Saladin ruled and reigned way back in the 1400s, 1500s. And then uh, it was during this era, how many of you have ever, ever heard of the great Rabbi Maimonides? Uh, he was actually the counselor and physician to King Saladin. And they had a friendly relationship. And it was that friendly relationship. Of course, my mom, just one of the greatest scholars and thinkers and rabbis in all of Jewish history, uh, friendly with uh, King so- That all carried into society. And it continued on for years and years and years and years and years. And uh, when you get into the history of this, uh, some historians say that the animosity that we see between Jews and Arabs, Jews and Muslims, was really inflamed just recently when the, uh, the British occupied the Holy Land Back uh, after World War I and the end of the Ottoman Empire, the uh, Ottomans controlled the whole Middle East. They're Turks. They're Arabs. They were on the side of Germany, uh, and uh, they lost, and so uh, Britain and France... And really the uh, allies of the world took over the Middle East and that's where everything got carved up. That's where Lebanon and Syria and Jordan and uh, Iraq and Israel all were formed and borders were drawn. That was uh, in 1922 at the Sam Remo Convention. But uh, it was the British, this always threw me. Because when I, have, have you ever seen the Paul Newman movie, The Exodus? It's a great movie to watch about Israel forming as a nation in 1948. And even as a kid, I'd watch that with my parents. And, you know, everybody loved Paul Newman. Uh, and he was a, a Jew on the side of Israel reforming as a nation, fighting against the British. And it just would always throw me. What is what are what is Paul Newman doing fighting against the the British? Are supposed to be on? The, aren't we on the same side, British? The British were not on the same side of the Jews, and they prevented a lot of the Aliyah back into the land. Uh, the ship, the Exodus, all the people on the Exodus couldn't uh, disembark and come in, and there were internment camps, and the British turned. Hundreds of ships fleeing Nazi Germany away from Israel's borders always threw me. So uh, historians say it was really the British that were fanning the flames of anti-Semitism because they wanted the land. Back at that time, the world was England, right? Right? Uh, And they had their eyes on that. And maybe you've seen Lawrence of Arabia, another story that kind of gives some of the background. What's going on here when Lawrence of Arabia meets with uh, the general in Jerusalem? Uh, What's his name again? The general? Anybody remember? I'll think of it and just throw it in later. So all of that, Happened and suddenly the golden age is over. Uh, and, And so, as we continue in our study today, we're in the life of Sarah. Sarah's Torah study begins at her death. And at this point, Ishmael, Hagar, they're forgotten, right? No one cares about them anymore. But if you read the Bible closely, some amazing things happen. And one of the things that happens is immediately following her death, uh, Isaac gets married to Rebekah. And in addition, Abraham remarries Keturah. And that's in Genesis 25. You can read it. We won't turn there. And Abraham and Keturah eventually have six children. This is amazing stuff. In part because most believers never even contemplate Abraham becoming a married man again again he did, didn't he just end up end his life as a widower and live out his final years alone no he got remarried to katura but that's uh uh so he remarries and you start getting your mind around this and you realize When you study this out, you realize the hermeneutics, the art of understanding. Lord, help us to understand what's going on here. And the sages piece this thing together, and they paint an amazing picture that Keturah is none other than Hagar. Are you kidding me? So Hagar, according to ancient tradition, didn't live her life out as an outcast, and Abraham didn't end his life out as a widower. They came together in marriage and had six children. Talk about prophecy. Talk about, is that pointing us to what's going to happen at the end of days? So this begins to explain why at Abraham's funeral, this was 38 years later after Sarah died, at the funeral, now we're starting to, So this could be why Isaac and Ishmael came together. Because Abraham came together with Keturah, who many of the great rabbis say is Hagar. And while it's true the family had been divided, now we see it didn't stay that way. The family curse was broken. And there was a reconciliation. Now, according to ancient traditions, not only did Abraham feel responsible about banishing Hagar and Ishmael, so did Isaac. And we know that Abraham did not want to send Ishmael away. You might remember this from Scripture. It's explicit. Abraham didn't like the idea of giving the boot to Hagar and Ishmael. But Sarah was. (laughs) She's got to go. (laughs) And actually God appears to Abraham and says, Listen to your wife. That's good advice for uh, marriages even today. Listen to your wife. (laughs) In fact, if you read between the lines, God has to persuade a hesitant Abraham to do what Sarah's asking to be done. But... In order to help sweeten, it he gives a, prof, a prophecy and a promise to Ishmael. This is in Genesis 21, verse 9. Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And in verse 11, and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, don't be displeased because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet, I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed also. So Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away. And throughout Sarah's lifetime, any kind of contact or reconciliation seems to be impossible. There's no mention of it in Scripture. But according to our dear, beloved rabbi, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, there's an extraordinary midrash, a drash, a drash. It's rabbinical commentary that tells about how Abraham visited Ishmael twice during Sarah's lifetime. And then after her death, with Isaac's help, it's taught that Abraham seeks out Hagar and brings her back into the family through this marriage. And the Bible confirms the marriage. Now, we can argue, is Keturah Hagar or not? Well, I mean, uh, Christianity doesn't really weigh in on stuff like this. But for... Uh, Several thousand years, Jews have been studying this and trying to get a handle on what's going on. And with the re-emergence of Ishmael into the story, none of this really seems so strange. Right? Now, let's go into some more clues. Go back to Genesis 24, 62. This is the place where Isaac and Rebekah first meet. The Bible calls this place Beer Lahai Roai. There's only one other reference in all of Scripture made to this place besides Genesis 24 62, and that's in Genesis 16 13 and 14, which just happens to be where Hagar was ended up after being cast out of Abraham and Sarah's encampment. So Be'er Lahai-Roi is not only linked to Isaac, this is where Rebekah first lays eyes on him. It's also linked to Hagar and Ishmael. Amazing, isn't it? It's not a coincidence. How many of you know about coincidences? <laughs> There's no such thing especially in the Torah. Now to many of the great Jewish commentators, this is a huge clue. One of the most powerful explanations is that Isaac has come to this place after Sarah's death to begin the process of reconciliation with his stepmother and stepbrother. Wow. And as unlikely as that seems... How many of you may have learned this through modern-day psychology where family psychologists and counselors will tell you that when a death takes place, it usually opens up the possibility for the family, the remaining, to come back together? How many of you have even seen that in your own lives? right? Someone passes away, goes home to be with the Lord, and the family may have drifted apart, and there may have been a schism, there may be animosity, but somehow through the death of a loved one, all of a sudden the walls come down and reconciliation and miracle healing happen. That's what's going on here. Amen? So Jewish tradition teaches that Isaac is uh, interested in the reconciliation, so he actually takes Abraham to this place, Beer Lahairoai, and he reunites Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael. And look, I understand it's totally unbelievable because we've never delved into any of these things as believers. There's Pastor Ed. Everybody say hi to Pastor Ed. But consider this. How many of you realize that at the end of Jacob and Esau's story, Jacob and Esau reconcile? Ah, so the God of reconciliation is interested in reconciliation. And you see it with Ishmael and Isaac. You see it with Jacob and Esau. You even see it with Joseph and his brothers at the end of that story. God is a God of reconciliation. And you and I have to live our lives always trying to be the peacemaker. I know right now it's easy to be inflamed. Let's throw some gas on this fire and kick some butt. Ooh. No, no, just calm down. Let's bring God into this thing. And God is a God of redemption. God is a God of reconciliation. He's not willing to throw people into hell. Right? So the peace and restoration between Abraham and Hagar and with Isaac and Ishmael is seen rabbinically to be connected with the Messianic era. We've just spent weeks with pastors studying the timeline of the end of days. This is part of that timeline. We just don't have time to get into everything. But the work of the Messiah is not just to defeat the enemies of the gospel, it's to unite the world in a one-world system. And this is why the Antichrist is trying to counterfeit that with their own version, the secular, humanist, Marxist, communist, socialist, demonic system of one world government. But they're going to enforce it with uh, the rule of an iron-fisted law, and our Savior's going to uh, enforce it with love. Right? So there's reason to believe a reconciliation is coming, Amen. right? So this special place, Beer Lahairoai, which is south of Hebron, it's right near Beersheba. modern day Beersheba, right on the edge of the Negev Desert. Uh, and when you think of a desert, and you think of reconciliation, you think of, man, this is like an oasis of teaching. This is an oasis in a world that's at each other's throats where God is showing us forgiveness is possible. Reconciliation is impossible. Christians aren't supposed to live our lives every day being ticked off. We need to have at the appropriate times righteous indignation doesn't mean we wink at sin. It doesn't mean that uh, uh, we tolerate bizarre things in our government. We can stand up and be a voice, but at the end of the day, we need to be redemptive. Amen? We need to have a spirit of love. Remember uh, when uh, James and John, the sons of Dev. Zebedee wanted to call down fire and brimstone on people that disagreed with Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, Boys, you don't know what manner of spirit you're becoming. So God is showing us this. That there's a future in the Christian-Jewish-Arab relationship. And it's something that we desperately need right now. Despite all the turmoil and strife and violence and lawlessness, we need to see the other side too because where sin abounds, we need to make sure grace is abounding much more. Amen. Amen? Now in just the past few months, there seems to be new light at the end of this tunnel between Christians, Jews and Islam. In fact, a real miracle is happening as we speak. Right now in the Middle East, Israel and Arab countries are normalizing relations. It's unthinkable, unheard of. This is impossible. Because we all we've seen since 1964 and before is this conflict between Israel and Arabs. Between Jews and Arabs fighting over the Holy Land, the Promised Land. And then all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, while everybody's screaming at the top of their lungs, Orange Man Bad! he's working behind the scenes on a peace treaty that Barack Obama didn't get done, that George Bush didn't get done, that uh, Bill Clinton barely got done. That really didn't get done. The Oslo Accords. In fact, it's just been impossible. And yet, we signed the United States, Israel, Bahrain, the United Arab uh, Emirates signed a breakthrough agreement that's called the Abraham Accords. Somebody's thinking over there at the White House. This is a historic peace agreement, folks. And it's not just good for our world today. It's a sign of the prophetic end times that God is moving in a sovereign way to bring about a reconciliation so that the Messiah can come. Oh my gosh. And there's other nations too. Sudan just came on board, and uh, uh, of course, quietly, Jordan and Egypt have always been uh, had some kind of normalized relations with uh, Israel. Others are going to follow soon. We hope Saudi Arabia and others will follow soon. This this is unheard of. It's a sign. Just like we've been teaching, what we've seen in the past with Isaac and Ishmael is a sign of what's going to happen in the end day. And now right before our eyes! Holy cow! This, it's just extraordinary. Now, w- w- what difference does that make to me in my life? Because Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> Anybody serve the Lord here? Anyone anyone ever pledge their allegiance to the Lamb of God? (laughs) Anyone believe the promise that I will return, says the Lord? When will that happen? Here's a sign. We just finished with pastor's series of all the reading the signs of God. Here's a sign. So God bless the president. It brought him three Nobel Peace Prize nominations. You just don't nominate the, uh, the man the world hates to Nobel Peace Prizes unless you realize this transcends uh, our hate for Donald Trump. The genius of the Abraham Accords is that it could end up being like a Middle East NATO. Think of that. With Iran on the rise, they're already saying then they're, they, they haven't, anybody who thought that the deal that was made about eight years ago with Iran, remember, and we sent billions on an airplane here just to show us we want you to succeed, here's a billion and a half dollars in cold hard cash and we'll cancel all this other debt for you. And then they turned around Iran and spent it all on terrorism. That's why this is coming together. Because Iran wants to disrupt the Middle East peace process. Who do you think supports Hezbollah? Who do you think supports Hamas? Who do you think supports the Palestinian Authority? Iran. And they support other terrorist groups. So now, Isaac and Ishmael showing us something prophetic. And right before our eyes, a Middle East NATO where Arab nations are coming together and they're saying, I've seen, watched the videos of the leaders chastise terrorist groups, Islamic terrorist groups saying, stop doing that to Israel. Stop shooting rockets. Stop saying they're occupiers. They serve the God of Abraham and Abraham gave them that land. Arabs standing up for Israel. Who would have thunk it? This is the teaching of Isaac and Ishmael. It's one of the secrets of the end of days. It's really, if you think about it, it's like the ultimate tikkun olam. Which is repairing a broken world. And that relationship was broken. And I believe that as God does that on the macro level, he's also going to do that on the micro level. Because in our families, the things that you and I have been through in our family, how dysfunctional many of our families have been, and the animosity and just the unwillingness to bury the hatchet, to extend uh, uh, our own version of a peace agreement, All of that, God is saying, I'm going to heal that. In this flow, there's going to be healing. There's going to be signs and wonders and miracle healing. And it would really help if you verbalized it. Okay? We just uh, got back from Michigan and uh, went to my youngest sister's wedding. And all the family was there and our little grandbaby Zakai he was kind of like the oil he was he, he almost upstaged the wedding <clears throat> and everybody and, and in that atmosphere there was love there was forgiveness cuz my sisters had they hadn't talked to one another for their reasons and all of a sudden, the wall came down and reconciliation was happening. And God wants to bring that to the world, to Israel, and all of the what we're seeing. There. But what about our lives? It's going to happen uh, that way for you and I too. Amen? Sounds like the gospel to me, doesn't it? Can you say amen? amen. Well, do you receive that this morning? If you do, give the Lord a prayer.